Today's Bible reading, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome to our our service. And um, just listening to that reading, what a powerful reading. What a powerful words. Imagine when Jesus preached those words to a crowd, a large crowd. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who hunger now. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you, reject you, insult you. Well, following Jesus has some surprising blessings, doesn't it? The Sermon on the Plain is what this one is called in Luke's Gospel, or the Sermon on the Level seems to be the equivalent of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Go to Matthew's Gospel, 5 five to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and a much longer a sermon there. And Luke is focused on what we call a Gentile audience, a non-Jewish audience, as he writes and puts material together about Jesus. And he seems to leave out some of the more legal matters that Matthew treated. He doesn't quote all the same material. Now, I tend to think that it's really the same material that the two different gospel writers are presenting to outline the teaching of Jesus. There are some scholars who think that Matthew and Luke are recording different sermons, you know, I might go to one place and, and use some of the same material. I change my stories and some illustrations and uh, some stories you've heard multiple times. Uh, Jesus is like that. He preaches to one crowd, preaches to another crowd. You tell some of the stories, some of the same illustrations. But I tend to think it's uh, a similar story. Someone says, well, he's preaching on a sermon on the mount, on a mountain in Matthew, and he's on the level right in Luke. Well, surely it can't be the same one. Well, if you can imagine for a moment various mountains and hills up, they're not just consistently on a, on, on a hill, right, are they? You come down mountains, you wander around with your sheep and your goats, and you get to level areas where you can stand, and you sort of go down a little bit further and you have level areas. So it could be that he's simply on a level part off the mountain as he speaks to the crowd. So what's the context? We're told that the night before, he spent time in prayer, and he then chose his 12 apostles. They're in verses 12 to 16. Then in verse 17, we read, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there. So it's not just the apostles, a large crowd of the disciples. There are others who are following Jesus at this stage, who he called, they call disciples, followers of Jesus. And a great number of people from all over Judea, 
from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. They gather for two reasons, to listen to his teaching and to be healed by him. Always the two things, isn't it? A lot of people just want to be healed by Jesus, but it seems to me they hear what he has to say, but they also know that then when they are close to Jesus, something miraculous happens. Sickness, exorcisms. Imagine how frantic this would be, and people are saying, if we just touch Jesus, I might be healed. And guess what? You know what the Bible says, and we don't often think this way. Jesus allowed healing to take place by, simply by people touching him. And you think, well, well I didn't, did they have faith? Did Jesus know? Did they, what was happening there? We don't know other than to say that he, in his grace and mercy, allowed even people who are frantically trying to touch him to get close to him to be healed by him. And he records these uh, radical teachings and he starts with the Greek word makarios, blessed. You know, uh, the Greek word makarios means happy, fortunate, someone who is enviable, someone who finds God's approval. Blessed are you, he says, makarios. I just found it interesting that the uh, Greek archbishop, the new archbishop, uh, the Greek Orthodox Church, is, his first name is Makarios. And um, I, I tried to see if it, it was a... Sometimes they take extra names. But this is, when I checked the history this morning, it's his birth name, Makarios. His parents just looked at him and said, Blessed are you. Right? Fortunate are you. We'll call you fortunate, lucky, blessed, enviable. And Jan, Philip Yancey says the Greek word conveys something like a short cry of lucky person. In fact, he says, how lucky are the unlucky? Max Lucado says they have God's approval, his smile, the applause of heaven. Blessed are you. And then he begins. Remember, as he's teaching, he's on a level and his apostles are close to him. He looks, speaks to them. And then there are wider crowds because the crowds are flocking. So picture they're sitting around him and there is further, more concentric circles all around listening into Jesus. Some will hear better than others. He starts with poor. Blessed are you who are poor for the kingdom of God. And in verse 24, he says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Notice in Matthew's Gospel and the Sermon on the Mount, there are no woes there. And so Luke includes... Uh, the positive, the blessed of the poor, but also a word to the rich. You've already received your comfort. In Matthew's gospel, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Not simply blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I think this helps us to understand that the poor in the Bible is talking about more than simply physical poverty. When Jesus says blessed are the poor, why is that? Well, in the Old Testament, poverty or the poor, came to have spiritual overtones and was identified with humble dependence on God. See, the poor person is the one who's oppressed and afflicted. The rich people are abusing them, the rich people are taking their land. The poor, who have nothing, have nothing else to turn but to God. So in the Old Testament, humble dependence upon God describes the poor. And there are obviously poor who are ungodly, but then there are the pious poor who look to God for the coming of the kingdom. 
And there was a strong association that developed between the poor and lowly and humble. So when you think about the poor, these are the people who are more likely to be lowly and humble. The Bible says, better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Or, for this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Poor, humble, lowly, and trusting in God. Blessed are the poor, Jesus says. In Isaiah 61, the prophecy said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Who's that talking about? When you read Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 20, Jesus reads those scriptures, and then he says in the synagogue, this prophecy is now being fulfilled in your presence. He says, I am the one who's been anointed to preach good news to the poor. And friends, you can't help, when you read Luke's gospel especially, You'll notice that the poor are the object of Jesus' ministry. He ministers to the poor. He serves the poor. He, he goes to the broken. And he seeks the pious poor who will receive his grace. A few years ago, I was speaking at a missions conference. And before I spoke, I had an interview with a man, a Christian, from, originally from southern Sudan. Picture him, eh? And they, they interviewed him about what it was like living in southern Sudan in the civil war, persecution, suffering, and uh, what was it like? How did you survive? Hungry, poor, oppressed, victimized. And what was it like there? And what's it like now when your people, many of your people, have moved to Australia? He said, when we lived in Sudan, we had nothing. When we lived in Sudan, we and we trusted in Christ. He said he was our everything. We prayed, we preached, we served, we depended on God. But when we came to Australia, we earned money. We saw bright lights, and screens, beautiful cars. We fell in love with wealth. And now many of our people love money more than Jesus. Many of our people now love money more than Jesus. How devastating that is. So there's something about the poor who have nowhere else to turn but to God for salvation, for strength, for power. And we are often seduced in the West by money. And I ask the question, what about you and what about me? Do I love and trust in money more than Jesus? Am I willing to recognize my spiritual poverty, that I need Christ and him alone, and he is my everything? See, the poor know that their only hope is the grace, the love, the mercy of God. They recognize that they are sinners in need of a savior, and they come to him. John Calvin said, he only who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on the mercy of God is poor in spirit. Physical poverty, spiritual poverty, you realize you need Christ. But on the other hand, the rich face a different destiny. He says, woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is the rich who have power and influence and take advantage of the poor. 
We see that also in James chapter 2 and chapter 5, where there's a special word to the wealthy. Be careful you do not abuse your wealth. Use it well for the good of others. Don't simply use it to oppress others. Now, we know that's a generalization. Many rich people come to, the God, come to Jesus. In fact, take us a moment to step back. In light of southern Sudan and Nigeria, Malawi and parts of Asia and other parts of the world, who are the rich? It's us sitting in this building, right? We are. Sure, you might say, oh, I'm not as rich as the other person. I'm looking around. <laughs> you should see their house. You should see their cars. I'm struggling to pay my rent every week, maybe. But in comparison to the rest of the world, the middle classes are very, very rich. And it can create a sense of independence, distance from God, and callousness towards others. You see, for many rich people, and let me say the middle class people of our society, a nice house, a beautiful family, successful investments, regular overseas holidays, fancy restaurants are enough. And Jesus says, if that's all you have, then you have received your reward in full. You've received your comforts. There's nothing else beyond this life. Secondly, the hungry. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. I'm feeling quite well fed at the moment, extra kilo or two. But physical hunger here is often a result of religious persecution or harsh treatment by people in power who take advantage of others. And if you're poor, you're going to be hungry, right? So they go together, blessed are the poor, Blessed are the hungry. Worthy of envy are you who are hungry, he says. They may lack material foods and basic sustenance. They turn to God for care, and God will provide for them, and God will satisfy them. Although the Old Testament doesn't directly equate blessing with physical hunger, it does commend a different type of hunger. I want to move you beyond physical hungering to a different type of hunger. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can, when can I go and meet with God? And you see, the Old Testament says, no, no, we need to hunger for God, a desire and thirst for God. We want to be with God. We want to worship God. We want to serve God. We just love being in the presence of God. I think, how often do I look forward to coming to church, to gather, to sing, to pray, to commune with God and his people? As the deer pants for streams of water, I need the water, I need it. I'm going to die without it. See, that's the picture. I, I pan for it, I need it. And when you find the water, you find joy and satisfaction. Come to God. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Psalm 63. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land when there is no water. Are you hungry and thirsty for God? You may have plenty of sustenance. We're going to have a sausage sandwich afterwards. You might go back for a big lunch afterwards. But are you hungry and thirsty for God? Jesus told the woman at the well, remember the woman who had had five husbands and the man she was with was not her husband? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. She asked for water, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up 
to eternal life. Jed, come to me, says Jesus. In John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So the poor and the hungry knew there was only one place to go, to Jesus. I think the lack of poverty and the lack of hunger for us causes us to trust in ourselves rather than to long for God. Jesus blesses spiritual hunger. You will be satisfied now and satisfied eternally. But friends, there's another hunger in the Bible. It's picked up in Matthew's Gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So it's not simply blessed are those who are hungry. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. And so as the shoot of righteousness is no optional extra. You and I ought to be hungering and thirsting for holiness, for righteousness, for clear thinking, for the removal of any lust or temptation, that we should be longing, longing for righteousness. You cannot get along without righteousness. It's as important as food and drink. You hunger and thirst for personal moral righteousness. You know, when you uh, see this, the headlines in the news, it's not a pretty place for Christians. Hillsong, New York. I'm, I'm not having an attack at a Hillsong. I just happen to have two stories from Hillsong this morning. Hillsong, New York. Hillsong pastor Carl Lentz, who baptized pop star, this is what it says in the media, Justin Bieber has been sacked due to a series of moral failures. It has been revealed in an email to members. And the story is much bigger than that. Hillsong Dallas. A few months ago, Pastor Reed Bogart and his wife Jess resigned as pastors at Hillsong Dallas. The Bogart's resignation came after Hillsong's leadership suspended their pastoral duties as they investigated members, complaints that they weren't upholding Hillsong's leadership standards. These complaints included the misuse of worshippers' tithes. It was reported that the Bogart's funds used to purchase ATVs I didn't know what that was. All-terrain vehicles. I looked it up. Expensive meals, designer clothes, and items for their children. It's a mess. See, Christian leaders as well as members are to pursue personal moral righteousness, integrity, honesty. But also, we need to hunger not for personal righteousness only, alone, but for social righteousness. So when you read the Old Testament, the law and the prophets spoke on social issues all the time. The promotion of civil rights, the justice in the law courts, integrity in business, honor in home and family, concern for the alien and the refugee. That's the concern of God's people. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. You give, you pray, you contact local MPs, you march on the streets if you have to. You see, this week is National Reconciliation Week. Do you know National Reconciliation Week with Indigenous communities was started by Christians as a week of prayer in 1993? Church is saying we need to work with our Indigenous peoples to ensure that there's good reconciliation. Partnership together. Started by Christians because they read their Bibles. Domestic violence, refugees... Aboriginal deaths in custody, political prisoners in China or Iran, corruption in our police force or government or aged care facilities, the scourge of gambling, 
the death of unborn children, the poor here and overseas. We care for social righteousness. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. If you think you have everything now, if you are well fed now, if your focus is on pleasure now, if you show no regard for the poor now, he says judgment is coming, you will go hungry and you will miss out on eternal life. Thirdly, the sorrowful. Well, obviously, if you're hungry, if you're poor and you're hungry, it often leads to tears, doesn't it? Makes sense. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. There will come a day, he says. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. If you are part of the pious poor who are hungry for God, hungry for righteousness, you will weep and mourn. Matthew's gospel said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We weep. We mourn, there will be a day when we'll be comforted, there will be a day we will laugh. Why do we weep and mourn now? We do weep and mourn over poverty and hunger and injustice and cruelty and abuse and war and selfishness and adultery and violence. We weep over that. Kingdom people weep. And let me say, if you haven't wept for a while, if you haven't been captured by the evil in our world, the sin in the world, the brokenness in our world, if you haven't wept for a while, maybe you need to get in touch with God. How do I say that kindly? If you are so distant from what is happening in the world when you see abuse, when you see death, and you haven't wept, you're just, no, no, I'm stoic, I'm going to be strong. If sometimes you're not moved to tears and calling out to God, I, was, I watched something yesterday, I was just, I don't know what it was, I can't even remember what it was, and I just went, God, please do something. okay to weep over the injustice and the evil in our world. But not only the things out there, but your own sin and your failure. Because, you see, those who have a poverty of spirit realize their own brokenness and their own sinfulness, the way in which they contribute to the hurt of others. And they realize they needed a Savior to die for them. They mourn over their own sins. You see, in the Old Testament, people often mourned over the sins of Israel. And they look forward to the coming Messiah. Jesus himself in Jerusalem mourned for Jerusalem. He knew people rebelled against him, did the wrong thing, and he knew judgment was coming upon Jerusalem. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Just sit with that. Jesus, near the end of his life, is going into Jerusalem. He looks at the city, just breaks down. Because he sees that the people, even though he's preached and he's healed... (laughs) driven out demons, they think he's from Satan. And one day in his judgment, God is going to come pronounce judgment on Jerusalem, which happened in AD 70. Jesus looked at the judgment to come and wept. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Weep. When you see the needs, it's a catalyst to do something. Jid and Jan moved to Thailand to love and serve the needy away from families. Matt and Shannon serve in Central Australia, living in Uendamu, traveling around, loving Indigenous people, learning from them, trying to encourage and, and develop leaders amongst Indigenous communities, partnering together. 
for the good of the gospel. And we, if we truly believe that this world is lost and it's broken and it needs a saviour, then we preach the gospel in Nawi, in Sydney, Australia, in Southeast Asia, in Thailand, in Lebanon, because people are lost. We serve the poor. We sponsor children and communities through Baptist World Aid. And this week I put out another email from Baptist World Aid. They said, Ange, I wonder whether you, your church could help. With COVID spreading through India, it's now spread to Nepal. It's devastating Nepal. I know every Christmas you guys give an offering to Nepal. Many of your people are sponsoring children in Nepal. Do you think they can go an extra mile? I know you're doing Baptist World Aid, they said to me. I mean, they're doing global interaction. We know Mission Month. We don't want you to take away from that. But what you mention to your church is an opportunity to give to help our brothers and sisters who are poor and suffering in another part of the world. So I put out the email. It's in your hands. We help those suffering domestic violence and we protect them. We advocate for religious prisoners. We go with those who are broken. You know, when you see the sin and the brokenness of the world in yourself and all around you, it causes you to do something. And one day, we will laugh with delight. One day, we will be comforted. The Bible says God himself will wipe every tear from the eyes of those who have mourned. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things has passed away. And finally, blessed are you when people, listen to the language, hate you, when they exclude you. How often has that happened to you in a workplace? Excluded, maybe not hated, but excluded because you're a follower of Jesus. Insulted you to your face maybe or to others. And reject your name as evil. That Gretzunas guy, he's in a cult. Your name as evil. That Gretzunas guy, don't go to that church. They're evangelicals. Your name can be mud in some places. That's what Jesus says will happen. It's rejected because of the Son of Man, because of your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. How do you leap for joy in a sort of insult and persecution and suffering? Because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Friends, the early covered very early on the cost of following Jesus. They lost employment and social standing. Some even lost their lives. We just need to read the book of Acts. I love this uh, cute story of Clarence Jordan, who's an African-American leader. He was given a tour of a wealthy church one day. The pastor pointed out with pride the plush carpeting, the padded pews, padded pews, uh, the luxurious fixtures. And they stepped outside and he directed Jordan's attention to a huge cross atop of the steeple. We have one of those. <laughs> The cross alone, he says, it costs us $10,000. To which Jordan told him, you got cheated. There were times when Christians could get them for money. And friends, persecution is not a thing of the past. Although in Australia, it doesn't include physical violence, as in other countries. But hate and exclusion and insult and rejection 
is the experience of many of us. I read this week that there have been 1,470 Christians killed in Nigeria within the last four months. One of the things we're concerned about is the persecuted church and praying, but in Nigeria it says 1,470 Christians murdered and over 2,200 abducted by jihadists in the first four months of 2021. Many places in Africa, Christians are continuing to suffer as Muslim groups move south in Africa. But one of the positives is that verifies a person's true loyalties. Whose side are you on? When you stand for Jesus and you suffer persecution, you know whose side you're on. And the encouragement is you simply walk in the steps of the prophets. And I love how Jesus says this. This is what they did to the prophets in the past. If they do it to you, you're in good company. You're in good company. They hated the prophets, the true prophets, they hated you. They liked the false prophets. But there's no reward in that. He says, suffering achieves for us an eternal glory. I love 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And God says there will come a day when all things will be made right. Uh, Billy prayed about that earlier. We look forward to the coming again of Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, when hunger and poverty and oppression and insult and persecution will be done away with. I say this morning, come and follow me, says Jesus. There are surprising blessings. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who weep and those who are hated. For they enter the kingdom, they will be satisfied, they will laugh, and they will have a great reward in heaven. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for these powerful words that you spoke to this large crowd in the first century. Words that we need to hear today and we need to take on board today. Please help us, Lord God, to recognize our own poverty and trust in the Lord Jesus and him alone for our salvation. Help us to hunger for you and for righteousness. Help us to weep over the brokenness of our world and to persevere even when we are hated. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on the kingdom, the satisfaction to come, the joy and the laughing that will still to come and the great reward in heaven. But help us to remember your death, your suffering, your rejection and the victory that came through your death and resurrection that gives us hope for now and for eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.